What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, as always, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me back. It feels like it's been a while. I don't know if it's just like it's drug on or did we not do this last month? That's what I was trying to remember as well. I think we did last month. I think we did, too. It's like time is flying by and also for whatever reason that this past month has felt like I have. I I think it's just because the holidays and everything. I agree. I feel like with everything going on, it seems like that's been like three months ago. Like even thinking yeah. about Christmas, that that seems like it was like two months ago to me. So I feel the same way. It does seem like it's been forever. Um, what's been going on with your training and nutrition since we last talked? I'm still adding more food. And um, so last time, I think I was doing systemic metabolic training. And I did that for a five week mesocycle. And then this week switched over to three back to hypertrophy, which feels awesome, but three days per week as of now, because we are moving to a new house this weekend into the first part of next week. And, um, then like Tate has eye surgery next week is just like ridiculously busy. Um, so with being so busy, she had me, she being Sue, my coach, um, is having me do three days per week, which has been a blessing. (laughs) Whenever I see three days per week at first, I'm like, Oh no, I, what am I going to do? I hate not training more uh, like at least four days per week, but then it's actually been great this, this time. Um, so back to hypertrophy was, um, for this, for this cycle. So I really like that style. It's just my favorite. And that hasn't been, um, that hasn't been what I've been in for like, I don't know, a year, (laughs) like a long time. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. It has been a very long time for you. Yeah. Okay. And I know when you first started, you weren't really into hypertrophy training very much. I was doing strength training. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm still surprised to hear you say hypertrophy is your favorite. I, yeah, I know. Me too. I, I I really like strength too, but it just feels really good to be back into a hypertrophy phase. And then okay. um, next week, which, well, I don't know. I don't know what shipping is going to be like, but next week or the week after, we'll be getting that prodigy rack. So oh, then I think I'm going back up to four days a week and incorporating some of that. Okay. So I'm really excited. Okay. I'm stoked for you guys to have that. I love that rack so much. I know like Jordan Lips has been talking about because he just got one as well. And I was like talking to him through all the home gym stuff. And I'm I'm just so stoked for everybody who's getting that rack <laughs> because it is truly the best. Yeah. Um, what's your actual split like then right now training three days a week? Full body. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you like full body training? I like this. Yeah. Historically, it's just been like, okay. And I don't feel like I've recovered very well doing full body, even dropping it down to three days per week, which I Mm -hmm. honestly, I haven't done full body training that much, but when I have tried it in the past, I felt like I was just beat down, which is weird because it's so much less frequency, but, um, I really like it this time. It's just programmed really well. And there's, um, most things where it's like 60 to 90 second rest. And then there'll be one or two things where it's more of a metabolic set where it's 10 seconds rest three by 10. So it's fun. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. It's interesting with the amount of training days because a lot of people, a lot of the women we start coaching will have been doing something like five to six days a week of like orange theory. And then I go to these Peloton lifting classes, et cetera. And almost always it's, Hey, you really don't need to be training more than three days a week. And that's typically something that the start will get a little bit of pushback against. Right. But again, it's understanding one, we're going to teach you how to be so much more effective with the stimulus, right? We're going to make sure that we're getting form videos from you. So your execution of these movements is on point. Next, we're going to make sure the intensity is actually there, right? You're actually getting close enough to failure to fatigue all the associated muscle fibers within whatever muscle that you're training close enough to failure to actually stimulate a new adaptation, right? And then finally, this is actually going to be a smart training program. We're not just going to have you doing randomness for the sake of doing randomness, um, which is really like so many like things are like orange theory type classes are just 
shit that feels hard. But again, we're not necessarily actually getting the stimulus that we need. So it's, it's so it's actually very easy to just be so much more effective with the stimulus that we're chasing and achieve that with so much less volume than people have oftentimes done in the past, which is just a cool thing to see. And again, like that's even you, like you're very experienced, but you're only training three days a week right now. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add there. (laughs) So let's go ahead and get into the questions and I am going to push the first one over to you. I have been overshooting on my protein and a build if that matters, what is the recommendation on adjusting macros when this happens? If I'm over by 10 grams or less, I just go with it. But otherwise I've quote unquote adjusted by hitting calories. So either less carbs or fat suggestions. And would it look different in a cut? Thanks. I seek free coaching via Q and A's. All right. So basically what she's asking there is she's going over her protein occasionally by more than 10 grams and thus reducing carbs or fat to make up for it. She's also in a building phase. So basically I think she's just asking, is that an okay thing to do or would you recommend something different? I would be interested to hear if we have different opinions on this, but um, I would just let protein be over in a build. Um, Mm -hmm. You've probably got fats fairly close to the minimum. I would think now if fats are well above the minimum, then that's where I would pull to make up for a little bit of extra. But really, I would just let it be extra in protein in a build. Um, the the caveat there is if you're noticing that you're getting some like bloating or any digestive issues from having all that extra protein, which can happen with protein, then I would just plan it out a bit better and and keep it to what your target is. But um, otherwise, I would just go with it. And then she asked if it would be different in a cut. In that mm-hmm. case, I would uh, not. Uh, I would just keep protein where it's at because if you are going over and then pulling away from carbs and fats, your carbs and fats are already limited. So then at that point, like you're just gonna really not feel very good pulling those back even further. And in a build, if you're pulling away from your carbs, you're pulling away from one of the main fuel sources that you're needing in order to have that fuel for, for training to build muscle. So, um, what, what do you think on that? I agree hundred percent. I, it's very interesting. If you dig into the research that they've done on protein overfeeding specifically, it does seem that protein is nearly impossible for our body to source fat. Mm-hmm. Again, we also know it's going to burn the most calories during digestion. And I believe the research, like one study that I always cite this by Jose Antonio, they had two groups, one group, I believe ate 490 calories more than the other group. But it was like, they had them sub, they had them supplement with like, two extra protein shakes per day. I would Basically, think it was 800 protein. calories. Was it? it, it was he's like probably done more two. than one, but one of them was 800 okay. calories above maintenance, which is insane. Right. Right. But it was overfeeding via protein. Right. And they actually lost more fat than the other group that was eating less, Yeah, but they were just eating a greater overall percentage of protein. Right. Mm-hmm. And they built, and he's done a couple and they built more muscle. Yeah. And he's done a couple studies that are very similar to that. Jose Antonio is a super interesting source to dig into in this work. But I mean, and basically if we look at the process of, so like in a building phase, if we look at the process of your body storing protein as fat, it's going to be very, very complex. Even like the body, the process of your body turning protein into a usable fuel source, like into glucose is basically going to be, very complex and very energy expensive gluconeogenesis, correct? Mm-hmm. I always get that in. Uh, and even similarly, like with carbs to be stored as fat is a little bit more of a complex process. So I would say the same thing, like in a building phase, if you're going over on your protein, because also we want to look at it as like, what is your body using as fuel? Okay. So for our more intense, if we have a good amount of metabolic flexibility for our more intense, like training, we're going to be using carbohydrates for our lower intensity stuff. We're probably going to be predominantly burning fat. It's never, it's not like exclusively one or the other, but predominantly. Right. So within that, 
like still, if you're cutting short your protein or cutting short your, or cutting short your carbs or cutting short your fat to allow more protein, we're still going to kind of be under fueled through this, right? If we're like cutting out carbs or cutting out fats um, from one activity or the other throughout the day. Whereas again, like the process of our body turning that protein into something that is, can actually be used as fuel for like activity is very energy expensive. And like your body just doesn't want to, your body doesn't want to do that. Right. So it won't unless we're absolutely in a pinch. Like if, again, if we're like extremely low carb, but we're eating a lot of protein, this is why the keto diet is technically supposed to be relatively low protein as well. Because if we have enough protein coming in, then your body through the process of gluconeogenesis will convert that into glucose. Right. So, um, Basically, I would say you're going to be a little bit underfueled, but that extra protein coming in probably isn't going to be sore as fat anyways, so I wouldn't stress it. Now, I, from like cutting versus building, it's a lot more often that a client will go like 20 to 25 grams of their protein goal consistently in the building phase, which again, I typically would say, hey, no big deal. Keep carbs and fat on point. Cool. And I've never seen any detriments from that. I will say it's a lot more rare that people are going over their protein targets in a fat loss phase in the first place. Like this is very rarely something that comes up. It's almost always like, Hey, here's what we need to do to actually help bring your protein up a little bit. Because again, like it's most people who have most people that have struggled to lose fat in the past haven't prioritized protein dense foods, right? Which is part of the reason typically they probably struggle to lose body fat. So it's oftentimes, I would say it's pretty rare that it comes up where it's like, Hey, we're in a fat loss phase, but you're overeating the protein. But I mean, even then I have, unless it's causing digestive issues, typically I'll tell clients like, Hey, honestly, we can eat as much protein as we want. And if the situation comes up where it does seem, okay, you're nailing your carbs or fats, but protein is way over and Hey, we're not losing fat at the rate we want. Okay. Then maybe we will pull that back a little bit, pull that protein back a little bit, but I've never actually ran into that situation where it's a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a lot less trace proteins in a deficit because I I think once you get used to eating a certain way, which I know that this question is from Jody. I know that Jody has gotten used to like eating in like probably a certain pattern and then going from deficit up, you're probably keeping like your main protein sources like lean meats and things like that the same, but then you're adding in so many other sources of calories, like oats and things like that, where you're getting all these trace proteins. And I would guess that that is why protein is harder to keep in check during a a build phase. Exactly. And I'll even to counter that will a lot of times, like every hundred grams or 50 to hundred grams of carbs that we add, I'll bump protein up by 10 grams as well. Typically Mm -hmm. just because we're going to be getting less protein sources with good bioavailability. So as you mentioned, like all these trace protein sources from like oats, for example, okay, that's not going to be a complete protein source. Your body isn't going to be able to use it as efficiently to build muscle tissue. So like if we're getting a lot of those, we probably are going to need to increase overall protein as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next question we have is low back pain after barbell hip thrust. All right. So probably what's going on here, if you're having low back pain when you're doing hip thrust, you're probably extending your lower back a little bit too much. So basically think like we're arching our lower back, not rounding, but arching. So basically we're almost driving our belly button up and that's higher than our hips. And this is very common. We have like that anterior pelvic tilt where again, almost think your pelvis is tilted forward. So really one of the most helpful things here. And the thing to understand there is if we're really extending through our spine Basically, we're arching and using our lower back quite a bit to actually pull our hips up in the hip thrust, whereas we more or less, now your lower back is going to be evolved to an extent, but what we can do to help this is actually try to shift our pelvis to be in a little bit more of a posterior pelvic tilt. So basically, how the easiest way to kind of illustrate this is look at your rib cage and your pelvis, right? And kind of think of like an obtuse versus an acute angle i don't know if that's actually i don't know if that actually works now that i think of it that's how i always describe this but imagine there's like a straight imagine you have this big open angle where your rib cage is kind of flared up and your pelvis is twisted down slightly so they're kind of creating this obtuse angle right i'm actually now that i think about it i'm not actually 100 percent sure 
I don't know. I think that's greater than 90 and acute is less than 90, but I can't visualize. I'm having a hard time visualizing it with. I don't know if this actually makes sense, but can you but visualize I know what you're what saying? Yeah. Right, right. Our rib cage is kind of flared up. Imagine our pelvis is pointed down slightly. So really what I would cue here is imagine trying to pull your rib cage down towards your pelvis, mm-hmm. right? Now, automatically what that's going to do, that's essentially going to suck everything in. We're going to tighten our core up a bit. And in that position, we're going to be able to much better, a much better use our glutes in the hip thrust. So really like the biggest thing I cue here is, Hey, just pull your rib cage down towards your pelvis. Now you don't have to be like all the way crunched down, but we want it to feel tight and strong. And basically like our rib cage and our pelvis are basically stacked over each other. Right. And then from there, just keep your core tight, drive your heels to the floor. Right. And in that position, we can use our glutes much more. Whereas again, if we are, if our rib cage is kind of flared up, we have this very open position through our core, then we're going to use our lower back a lot more and we won't be able to use our glutes as effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I like that explanation. Uh, That's the first thing I thought of was just like not keeping the core engaged throughout Mm because if you let your core be lax, then if you're looking at someone perform hip thrust, then the first thing, if their core is not tightened up, the first thing that's going to come up is their ribs, not all in one swift motion, like working together, their, their trunk and their glutes. So um, another cue that I like on that one is don't think about just getting the bar up. Think about squeezing your glutes like fully throughout the, the movement. So like um, don't just worry about the bar path. Think about the muscles doing the work instead. Absolutely. I, I, I like that. I, probably here what you'll see again is like you'll notice if you watch a video of yourself your hips are sagging a little bit more whereas you mentioned like that's a great way to explain it the ribs are coming up and almost like your belly button is coming up but the bar is kind of sagging below that Mm -hmm. okay your core probably isn't tight enough Uh, so again like it should very much be i i also really like the cue like driving your heels to the floor that typically is helpful. And even like if you just keep your chin tucked, right? Because a lot of people that struggle with this, what you'll see when you look at their form videos is they're in this position where like their neck is just cranked back. They're like looking up at the ceiling or even back behind them. I would almost like, hey, look at your knees, tuck your chin, pull your rib cage down towards your hips. And that in and of itself should really help correct that. I, I think one of the things that has caused a little confusion is, so with Brett Contreras, he's, Uh, as far as I know, like has made it popular, uh, the hip thrust movement. Mm -hmm. So he has some people do like a scoop motion where he does let the abs relax, like at the bottom and ribs stay up and then like scoop the hips up under. And then other times, I don't know what he calls it whenever ribs stay stacked, but otherwise doing that sort of motion. And it's like one is more, strength and power focused and one is more hypertrophy focused, but I think that that's a little bit confusing. Um, so I, I don't ever tell anybody to do that sort of scooping motion. I am always harping ribs down with, especially moms. I'm constantly saying ribs down, ribs down on every single movement. Um, so yeah, I like that explanation. I don't know what the benefit, like from a glute perspective, I don't know why you would do it any other way i don't either it maybe cues the like tucking of the tailbone under at the top because i could see if you're like anteriorly rotating and then posteriorly rotating i but i don't think that that actually like it may be fine for some people as a cue to to scoop their hips under to to like fully contract their glutes but like as far as the anatomical positioning of your glutes it's not it's you're not getting a better stretch on your glutes at the bottom or a bigger squeeze at the top so i don't don't i personally i don't like it (laughs) yeah i'm not a big fan either cool all right next question we have what is your guys stories did either of you do college when did andrea start coaching take it away did either of us go to college is that what they said said what are your stories um this question was three part. Did either of you do college? Do college. When did Andrea start coaching? 
Yeah, I... Let's actually reverse engineer that with, did you go to college? And then let's dig into your story and when you started coaching. (laughs) I did go to college, but I did not finish. I, partway through college, started personal training and... um, I just loved it and you don't need a college degree for it. And I also knew eventually I was going to be a stay at home mom. And I kind of weighed my options and looked at how much extra debt I would be collecting if I finished college. And that wasn't going to be of any benefit for what I wanted to do. So I I didn't finish, but um, I started, Oh, I just saw the year the other day because I found my, my first certification paper in my closet while we were cleaning stuff out. Um, I think it was 2011. Yeah, it would have been 2011 is whenever I started personal training. And, um, I started at like this boutique studio and the, the lady that owned it was like very focused on older individuals. There weren't any barbells in the gym. It was like, uh, cable machines um, of, in different forms. And um, she worked with a lot of people with Parkinson's. That was one of her uh, passions. Okay. And I really liked that. My grandpa had Parkinson's. It was something that I was also really passionate about. But then once I got started, I really just wanted to work with a wider variety of people right. and be able to use barbells as a tool and, um, just like open that up. So I, I went over to like a more bodybuilding style gym and trained there and did boot camps there as well. And, uh, eventually started adding on the, the nutrition coaching aspect. And then at that time, that was eight years ago. Um, at that time it was starting to get a little bit more popular to, do this online. Like I knew of a few Mm -hmm. people that did it online. And so the nutrition aspect, um, I was only doing online and I would kind of help people with it in the gym a little bit, but that's, I've, I've only really done it. It's hard to, it's hard to do unless you book a session with them, just like sitting at a desk, talking, talking through it. Um, so then at that time I had just had my first son. Um, and then whenever I was pregnant with my second son, I decided after he was born, I was going to go fully online and only coach training and nutrition, both, um, online and quit doing anything in person. So that is how I got started with everything. And then, um, did coaching on my own until what was it? 2019 September or 20, no, 2020 September. 2020. Um, whenever I joined with you. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was those those couple years before you joined? What was that like? Like what led you to joining? Uh, Joining with you? Yeah, joining our team. How was like training on coaching on my own? I'm basically what led you to joining the team. I well, I hired you as a coach to learn from you and improve my own coaching service. Um, and I felt like I could reach more people. I, I I am not, um, the business person. I enjoy, I like, I obviously love coaching, but I had a hard time with the business side and like growing it on my own. So I knew that I could reach more people as part of a team and, um, really liked everything that you stood for and, um, really, liked the service that I got from you as a coach. And, um, that helped me so much with my own coaching. So whenever you asked me to join on, then I, that was a no brainer. (laughs) I love it. I'm glad it worked out that way. Um, your story is cool. I didn't know that you originally worked with people with Parkinson's. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked it, but it was just very, um, that's the only thing I could do. I'm not, not just people with Parkinson's, but like training older individuals or people with some sort of limitation or like someone who was interested in physique was not going there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, it, right. You know, it, yeah. the tools were just very limited and I loved it. And I was so appreciative of her giving me a job and um, like helping me get started. But 
yeah, I, it was, it was awesome. It was a great uh, way to get started. You're kind of one of the OGs. And if you were doing nutrition coaching online eight years ago, that was like, you're probably one of the first people actually doing that. Yeah. I did not realize which that, is that was that long ago. Crazy. And there wasn't any way of, uh, I just had to kind of piece together information on how right. to do it. Like I wasn't using Google forms. I don't even know if that was a thing. Um, it was, I just had to learn as I went and it was started out as a pretty poor service <laughs> to be honest. Like I had some knowledge, but I didn't know how to apply it. So, Oh yeah. It's nice. That's how it was there. when I started. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice now that there are like actual things that you can go like places you can go or like courses you can take to learn how to be a good online coach. Yeah. That's all it was when I started too. I had no, I like I had gotten people good results in person, but I did not know how to translate it to online. And that's, that's why I always tell people now hire a coach. If that's you, like there were, there were a bunch of an event I was at this last weekend. There were a good amount of people there who were learning about the marketing and the sales side of things, but felt like they didn't actually know how to coach anybody quite yet. And my advice was, Hey, you should hire a coach, be coached yourself, right? Like even if you've seen the systems, it's completely different than actually experiencing for yourself, what it is like to be coached through that. Right. I know, I know for me, that was the most helpful thing was I'm going to hire somebody I really look up to who I know provides a great service. I'm going to see exactly how they do things. So I can like, for myself, like, see, okay, how do I want to deliver? What do I want to like take and learn from this and like better apply it to my clients? Just like you said, like working with me, that helped you with the service you're giving your clients a lot. Um, it's also always an interesting thing to me when people who, this isn't like talking shit to anyone, <laughs> but it's always like odd to me when a coach has never invested in a coach for themselves. Right. And it's, yeah. how do you expect other people to see the value in it? If you and yourself don't seem to see the value in investing in this, it's always, it's always an interesting thing. Um, anyways, cool. Yeah. You're, that's, that is it. Very interesting. I didn't know that that was that long ago that you started doing this online. <laughs> though. Um, yeah. So I started, I did go to college. I have a business degree actually. And I basically just, fucked around the whole time I was in school. Um, I didn't take it very seriously at all. Uh, I, and then for me, I started training people while I was in school as well. So I started training people in 2014. So we're going to hit my eight year mark of coaching pretty soon for me. Basically it was, it started in high school. I was never really into lifting weights, nutrition, anything like that. Um, me and my buddy saw somebody do the peck pop thing and we thought it would be hilarious if we could do that. So that was like what got us into training, right? We wanted to be able to like, just have serious conversations with people and do this little peck pop at the same time. Um, I thought it was the coolest thing for so long. (laughs) I remember like staying in the mirror, like practicing my ability to do this. Um, and then basically from there, which is such a dumb story. I wish I had a better story. That's how it started. (laughs) Basically from there. My dad gave me a tub of pre-workout that his friend had given him. And I thought that like me and my whole friend group thought it was like some, like we didn't know what it was, but we didn't think it was like necessarily legal. So, <laughs> but when we took it, it was like, this is crazy, which it was NO Explode. I, was I don't know say, how what was it. Are. I used NO Explode before basketball games. I'm surprised I didn't have a heart oh, attack. Yeah. Really? That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And it would like, you'd shake it up. There'd be so much pressure. Like the lid of your shaker would pop off. <laughs> Uh, no, that, that, but it was like, this is crazy. Um, so I remember like the first time we took pre-workout, me and one of my best friends at the time just went and lifted for like two hours, did every movement we could think of. And that day I was like, I'm going to be a personal trainer, but I want to like do it online somehow. Now this was in, this was in 2011. And then I started following people like Corey Gregory, somebody I know I talked about a couple times on the podcast where like. This is a dude I followed at the time who he was posting his workouts every day on Twitter. This was like before I even had Instagram. 
and I would screenshot him and go do him. And he was like putting out all this content. He like had this some type of membership type site. And he was like constantly putting out educational content. And at that time, it was a lot different. Where like Instagram, like people on Instagram would just post like pictures of their food with like weird little borders around it. And like there wasn't really there wasn't like so much content like there was today. But to me, that was so cool. It was like I don't know. I don't even really understand what this guy's doing. But I'm going to do something like that today or someday, not today. Um, so that was when the vision really kind of started for me. And I always knew that that's what I was going to do. And it was kind of a weird thing because I was never really like even into training too much before then. But I just decided, hey, this is what, like what the thing is going to be. Um, and I was very focused on that all through college. But I also would say I felt kind of lost at the same time. Um, I had to do a lot of personal development and a lot of work on myself before I could be in a place to actually like take action towards that. I was basically just scared and procrastinating for like a good four years there. But again, I started training people in person in 2014, but I just trained people a shit ton until 2018. I believe I got my first actual online client in April of 2018. In the gym I was training, I was running like 60 to 80 sessions a week at that time, just trying to train as many people as I could in person and help as many people as I could. Um, but again, I knew that I wanted to build all my thing. And that's when I started like 2017, I started creating content for, I like reached out to Mind Pump to start writing blogs for them. And that's when I really like started creating content. Um, and then 2018, again, got my first online client. And then I like over the next like five to six months, I would like, bring on a person here or there. I think I had like five to six clients. Then in October of 2018, things more or less came to a head at the gym I was working at. And I kind of had an ultimatum. Okay, I can either go build this on my own or I can build it for somebody else, but it won't be mine. So I decided to leave the gym. Um, and that kind of put me in a position where my back was against the wall. Business had to grow to, in order for me to pay my bills. Um, and then from there it did. So, which is, I'm so happy that it'll happen because we wouldn't be where we are today. So it's, it's crazy to me, um, now to even like get on our team meetings and like, there's four of us now, like that's wild to me. And that, that is so cool. But yeah, that's really my story, I guess. Next question we have is... Uh, the question box was too long, but I would love to learn more about how you phase your workouts, when to phase it in clients programming and all the fancy lingo, lingo you use for different phases like neuro versus strength training and metabolic. Take it away. Okay. Wait, did you, you answer the last one, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So. Uh, in the simplest now this came from one of my clients who i know has run through okay. all of our most of the phases that we work with but basically at the most foundational level we have neurological or strength focused training programs we have hypertrophy focused programs which are focused on building muscle tissue and we have metabolic type programming which can be used to potentially speed up fat loss a bit to improve conditioning to change the way your body is partitioning nutrients. But in the most simple terms, typically a, a neuro phase is going to have you working in slightly lower rep ranges. So typically this is going to be anywhere from like four to eight reps, whereas oftentimes going to have a little bit longer rest here, right? And the focus here is on us basically seeing your body get stronger and more explosive. Basically, when we train in these ranges, what happens is your body gets more efficient at recruiting more muscle fibers per rep, right? So then when we go back to a hypertrophy style of training, because we can accrue more muscle fibers within each rep, we are more efficient at fatiguing said muscle fibers and getting that hypertrophy stimulus. Now, with hypertrophy training, here I would say is typically we're going to be anywhere from just in general I don't like to assign rep ranges to this too much, but probably most of our work is going to be anywhere from six to 15 reps. Again, our focus is on creating primarily going to be mechanical tension where the goal is basically just creating progressive overload, taking sets relatively close to failure, 
So typically anywhere from zero to one to three RIR and basically adding muscle tissue and getting more jacked. Now, because that is most of our client's primary goal, whether somebody puts it as, hey, I want to get toned or somebody says like, I want to get fucking swole, right? Which I don't, I don't hear very often, but uh, whatever way you put it, like that's hypertrophy, right? Building muscle. So that's, that's where our clients spend the majority of the time. And then we have metabolic phases, which again, we can use these in a couple different ways. One, if it seems like conditioning is the rate limiter, we can use it to improve your conditioning. So for example, here, when we're looking at like phasing things like this in and out, um, if we see like, Hey, when you're doing a back squat, the thing that's causing you to stop the set, isn't that your quads are just on fire and we, it seems like the muscle fibers are very, very fatigued and you're about to fail, but it's like, you feel nauseous. Okay. We probably need to focus on that systemic conditioning to improve your conditioning so that when we go back to hypertrophy, you can be more efficient at it, that you don't just feel like you're in a vomit and that's why you have to stop. We can actually fully fatigue your quads and get the stimulus that we want. Right. So like from one perspective, that's a way we can use it. So there we'd probably use something more like a systemic metabolic phase, which the client who asked this question, that's what she is in right now. Now, from her perspective, basically one of her goals. So she does all kinds of crazy stuff with horses where basically she's like an acrobat on a horse, which is super cool. But also she wants to get ready for um, a, an endurance event, right? So the way we're training her is going to shift. But right now we're just trying to build a solid foundation of conditioning because in the future, what this is going to evolve for her is like more endurance rides and like more modern intensity steady state cardio. But right now she's in a place where it's super cold. She doesn't have a treadmill. She doesn't have like conditioning work. They're like very isolated out in Utah. So right now we're starting with like, okay, let's lay a solid foundation for your conditioning just with a systemic metabolic phase, right? So within a systemic, and I apologize, I'm kind of rambling here. Within a systemic metabolic phase, basically then what we're looking at is what's the rate limiter, right? So like with metabolic phases, there's a couple ways we could approach it. The two I primarily rule program for clients are going to be their systemic metabolic or local metabolic. So like a systemic metabolic, we want your system, like we want it to be system-wide fatigue essentially is the rate limiter, right? So again, we might be doing like a trap bar Romanian deadlift supersetted with an upper back pull down. Now we don't want the thing that's causing you to stop the sets to necessarily be like, Oh my gosh, there's so much tension in my hamstrings are burning so much. I can't continue, but rather we want to be like as a whole, I feel pretty gassed, right? Like it's system wide failure more than local quote unquote failure in your hamstrings or your upper back or what it may be. Right. Whereas a local metabolic phase, which is a lot more fun in my opinion, this is something that, and again, both of these we can kind of use, even like a neural phase, any different stimuli we can kind of use as a deload from a different adaptation. So from one, we could literally look at this. This isn't typically how I look at it. Typically, I'll start to see either A, like, hey, this client's conditioning needs improved and they need to go into a metabolic phase. B, like we're seeing things like facet blood glucose start to shoot up. For example, um, I don't think they're partitioning nutrients as effectively as they could be. So maybe again, they need to go into like a local metabolic phase or, Hey, we're seeing again, like their actual force output doesn't seem to be very good. Right. It almost seems like their body is inefficient. I always use an example of like, sometimes you'll see a client with a form video and like they're, we're like repping it out, repping it out, repping it out. And all of a sudden they just like stop. Right. And it's like, it seems like, again, there's almost just like things aren't firing, which is a very bro way to put that, but it is, it is an easy way from my perspective to see like, Hey, we might need to focus on basically getting your body more efficient at strength to come back to hypertrophy and be more productive. Um, but then finally I was talking about the local metabolic phase, basically then within that there, rather than the system wide, we want it to very much be like the local tissue that we're targeting is the rate limiter. So for example, that could be, and I have, what I know, oh yeah, Julie is too. And like both my clients that I have doing this right now, I only have two people doing something similar to this, but they're both, we're using it as a deload for hype from hypertrophy. Or basically here, we're doing something like uh, six by eight with only 30 seconds rest between sets, right? So what that means is because rest periods are so short, 
the overall amount of um, load that you're going to be able to use will be reduced. So probably the amount of mechanical tension that we're under will be reduced, but you will get a crazy pump from the still. And it will help even if we're looking at like, okay, facet blood glucose is a little bit high. Well, if we're training like this, we're basically doing something that's very pump inducing. It's going to pull a lot more of these different nutrients. It's going to pull more glycogen, et cetera, to the muscle tissues that we're training could potentially help that. And then also like for somebody that's struggling with being quote unquote skinny fat, again, it could be a good idea to potentially start with a phase like this because it will help with nutrient partitioning as well. I rambled for so long there. Do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. That was very thorough. That was a really good answer. Was there Thank another you. part to the question or is that, is that good? Um, nope, I think we nailed it. Okay. Cool. All right. Then final question we have. Reasons why you aren't ready to diet. Hmm. So many women that get started with us hire us because they've been trying over and over to diet. And if, uh, so a lot of times we can just get them tracking more accurately, uh, training efficiently, going closer to failure with their lifts, putting in good effort there. Um, and then just like getting enough protein, simple things like that with the diet that are often overlooked and that will get them losing fat. But sometimes we will get someone who has been doing those things and has just been in a deficit for so long that they really just need to give their body a break. So in order to do that, we will um, sometimes start out with a reverse diet um, or at least just putting them at a maintenance of like a, a estimated maintenance level and have them um, stay in that phase for a while. And what that does is allow um, like systemic uh, stress to come down. If there's any adaptations with thyroid hormone um, being lowered or um, leptin being lowered, anything like that, being in a maintenance phase for a while will correct that or will help their body bring that back into a good level. And um, what we can also do in that maintenance phase is work on health. So um, make sure that you're getting in enough protein, make sure that you're getting in enough micronutrient dense food, um, maybe check lab work and see if there's anything going on. Like, is your, is there something going on with thyroid hormone? And is there any like supplementation or lifestyle changes that we need to address before uh, pushing into a fat loss phase and just continually running into a brick wall with that and not making good progress or like at least not seeing the progress that it seems like should be uh, experienced from the effort that you're putting in. So um, those are, those are some things that we can address in a maintenance phase in order to, um, to see better progress in fat loss. But I think in general, a lot of times it's just spending more time there. Um, even if you are doing what seems like everything right with eating your fruits and veggies and getting your protein in, a lot of times it's just you need more time outside of a diet and your body is not meant to be in a deficit all year long. So it's just giving your body a break. Yeah, absolutely. That's understanding. Dieting is a lot of stress on the body. Um, there's a couple of different ways to approach this. One, what I'll say is, and I mean, as listeners of the podcast probably know, you're not broken. Like if you're in a place where, Hey, I have done lab work. My lab work is all in a very good place. I don't ever want anybody to take this as like, I think there's a lot of like, we're talking on off air, like on our team call this morning about like a, one of Julie's friends who had been working with someone who was really like struggling with different uh, like, Hey, we need to gain weight. We need to reverse diet for like a year and like all these different things where it's like, Hey, that doesn't necessarily make sense. So I do think like from an extent, I think to an extent the industry can get carried away with this a little bit yeah. to where I don't think everybody needs to come in and rat out of the gate reverse diet, which is like what a lot of coaches will tell you. But on the flip side, a lot of people to your point 
a lot of people have been chronically dieting and still feel like they don't have the physique that they want, right? And oftentimes that is because like the fact that you're always dieting is the problem. So basically what happens when we take time away from dieting, as you mentioned, one, some hormones will restore to a more healthy level. Now, again, it's thyroid is something that if you have a healthy thyroid, it is pretty resilient. And even like if we talk about like leptin and ghrelin, those will both like, we'll see changes very, very quickly in those as well, even with just like a couple days of eating more food. But again, if we're in this place where we're, but like as a whole energy availability and the amount of energy I'm coming in, like if we're in this place where, so like from the perfect perspective, like from your perspective as a woman, especially, we know that if you are starving your body, if your food intake is very low, basically you're sending your body the signal that, Hey, we are in a period of energy scarcity right now. So thus, it doesn't make sense for me to be able to reproduce, for example. So like sex hormones, if we're chronically dieting, then sex hormones are some, one thing specifically that will suffer, right? And this, like a lot of women will lose their cycles if they are have been dieting too long, too aggressively, or if they've like gotten super lean for a bodybuilding show. This is why, right? Because your body senses, hey, we don't have the resources to support like another human being right now. So again, like if you're chronically dieting, Hormones in that aspect can definitely suffer as well, which is going to be far from optimal when it comes to your overall health and how you feel in your day to day. So from one end, what I'll say is you need to take some time to recover from your last diet before you diet again. I will say for my clients, there's two different phases. So one, if it's like, hey, we got your goal was to lose 30 pounds. We have you down 25. We're going to take a two week diet break and get back to the diet. Cool. But like when somebody hits their fat loss goal, I will make very clear, hey, it's going to be at least six months before I'm going to allow you to diet again, right? Like the recovery of these hormones, and it does depend on how lean you've gotten. So I think also we should take that with a grain of salt, right? Like if it's, hey, I lost 50 pounds, but I still like to get back to a healthy place. I have probably have another 30 to 40 pounds to lose. Okay. You probably don't necessarily need to take six months, but especially if you got super lean and the, like the degree to which the extent to which you get lean is important here. If you got extremely lean, it is important to take a good like six months at least to just allow your body to return back to normal. Because we do have some research that shows that hormones like testosterone for like state bodybuilding competitors, it does take about six months for those return to return to normal levels, right? So if we're constantly downregulating these hormones, that is going to be very hard on your overall health. Um, and then from there, honestly, for a lot of people, what I'll say is because the question was signs that you're not ready to diet. Um, a lot of people just don't have the habits in place to be ready to diet yet, right? So we have our health phase or primer phase where a lot of times it is, hey, we don't think there's like anything quote unquote wrong with you, but your fat loss is going to be a lot easier if we focus on you eating more nutrient-dense foods. Right now you're really struggling to track accurately or to eat enough protein. Your fat loss is going to be a lot easier if we get those things on point first. So let's take three to four weeks, just focus on nailing those things, or maybe it's one to two weeks, right? But then, and a lot of times what we'll see is even like in the health phase before our diet, when we just get those habits on point, like you're eating enough protein now, you're eating 80 to 90% whole foods, you're eating three to five servings of fruits and veggies a day. Then we'll often see people will start losing even within that. Um, but really, I think that... One, it depends on how lean you've gotten in the past and also your mindset around it, right? Something I try to address always before we go into a diet is the all or nothing thinking as well. Like, hey, there will be times where you slip up, right? And if you're in this mindset of like, okay, if I slip up, if I go over by a couple hundred calories, I've completely screwed everything up. That's not going to be productive to your success, right? So we need to make sure you understand that like we can't take a balanced approach to this. No one has ever gone through this is going, has been perfect, nor will anybody be. That's okay. We have to just look at the long game here. Um, that's an important piece of it as well. I really think those are the biggest things that I look at though. And then also what's your goal, right? Another thing is a lot of people who have been dieting forever, they don't have the physiques they want because they don't have enough muscle tissue. So if that's the case, understand adding muscle tissue is going to be a lot harder when we are dieting. So for a lot of people, it does mean like, hey, we just don't need to diet right now. The goal is to have more muscle when you are leaner, right? Like if you want to look toned and defined, that's what it takes. You have to have some muscle with relatively low body fat. 
But if you keep trying to diet, your body is not going to allow you to build as calorically expensive tissue. That is muscle tissue. So we need to take some time away from the diet. Just focus on really teaching you how to fuel your body, optimize your training performance, optimize your recovery. And then after six, eight months of building, then we'll push you into fat loss phase and your physique will look much different because of it. So the final thing would be like, if it just doesn't align with your goals. Does all that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You got us back on track. I kind of strayed away from the original question, <laughs> just talking about maintenance. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, it, you know, if you're currently in the place where you're doing like orange theory or CrossFit style workouts and feel like you're constantly restricting, but maybe like weekends aren't on point as much as you think they are, that that is like not a great place to start from. And like you said, like getting habits on point, um, really like getting accountable with your mindset around food and not just restricting hard during the week and going crazy on the weekends. That That is not the place to, to start from. And if you get those things on track first and take a while to really focus on that, then your cut is going to go so much smoother. I, I think a lot of people think of it as like, well, I want fat loss now. So I'll just do this first and then I'll handle all of that. Right. But that is going to extend your cut out for so long that you would have been better off just putting in the work up front while you're not dieting. Cause it's really hard to work on your mindset with food while you're dieting oh, yeah. and uh, work on that up front and then get into your cut. And it's going to go so much smoother. You can get it. You can get in, get it done with, and then get back out of the deficit and, and live for a while at maintenance. I couldn't agree more. And I'll say a lot of women, especially that start coaching, I often won't start them in a diet because it's, hey, you have trained for far less optimally than you could be for a long time. Also, fuel yourself far less optimally than you could be for a long time. Now, we know where you want to be eight months, a year from now entails both having more lean muscle and being leaner. So we're going to start this with a building phase because right now you're in this place where you can experience the quickest possible gains that you'll ever make when we're working together. Because basically we a lot of women will hop on board with like, Hey, you're still capable of making your newbie gains, right? Because you haven't trained off at all. So for the next three to four months, we want to make sure that like during this period of time where you can add a lot more lean muscle than you will be able to after that, we're also fueling that as best as we possibly can. So that means we're going to spend three to four months building. We're probably not going to see the scale change much. Shit, it might actually increase because you're adding lean muscle. But again, then when we get into your fat loss phase, one, your body's going to be in a very good place to actually cut. But two, at the end of that fat loss phase, you're going to have the muscle tissue that you wanted and you'll look and feel what you want it. But if we flip the order, then it's actually going to be longer. Like we go fat loss first in the building. It's probably actually going to be longer before you have the physique you want. Yeah. Agreed. All right. And that is all we have for you guys for today. As always, thank you all for tuning